Hello and welcome to the Grace Point Henderson podcast. My name is Parker and serve as a lead pastor at Grace Point Church in Henderson, Kentucky. Grace Point Church exists to advance the gospel to see one more person trust in Christ. This is the first part of our new vision series and an exposition from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Grace Point Henderson podcast. Uh, the book of Ephesians chapter 1 and while you're turning there just want to say a word of welcome uh, to all of our guests thank you for being here this morning and if this is your first time with us there is a little card in front of you a little blue card fill that out and as you leave today you can swing by our guest services area and uh, you can turn that in we have a gift for you just to let you know we appreciate you being here and uh, we're excited uh, that you're here with us and so uh, we are beginning uh, a new series uh, this morning, a, a series on our vision uh, for Grace Point Church. And over the last six months or so, um, we have been talking in our elders' meetings and just a conversation that's been happening. And, and what is God calling us to uh, as a church? And what is a clear, uh, what is clear in the New Testament that God has called us to? Uh, namely, we said this the first time that, that I spoke here and, and preached here, that God has very clearly called us to go and make disciples. And so we don't have to go searching far and wide uh, for what is the mission for our church. The mission of our church is that, uh, the Great Commission, is to go and make disciples. And, and, and how should that be done if we press a little bit further into that in the spirit of the Great commandment as well. Uh, the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so if you put those two together, the great commandment and the great commission, uh, you probably come up with a statement, you know, have you seen this before, about loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Um, and that will never change. That is something that will never change or should never change for any church. Um, it should always be the mission of the church to go and make disciples and to go and build up disciples and to make disciples of all nations. Yet, as we continue to narrow the focus, as we continue to ask that question, what does that look like practically uh, for Grace Point Church? And what's a statement of clarity uh, to encompass that mission of the church to go and make disciples in the spirit of the great commandment for such a time as this, for this body and for the glory of God? And Grace Point currently has a vision statement, and most churches do have a vision statement. The only problem with most vision statements is that nobody really knows them, and they can't think of what they are, and so they don't come to your mind, and we don't remember them. And so as we begin to talk in our elders' meeting, we said this. We said, memorable is portable, and if we can remember something, we will take it with us as we go and do our lives and live our lives. And if we really believe that this is a biblical vision, if we really believe that this is what God is calling us to, and we believe that this is what God is calling our church to, we want it to be something that just rolls off our tongues. We want it to be something that we see it not only in, in, in our thoughts, but also we see it practically in our lives. And the statement that we landed on, and you'll see it is, is on the screen this morning, is that we landed on this, to advance the gospel to see one more person trust in Christ. And as you look and see, what is it that Grace Point wants to be about? What is it that Grace Point is aiming towards? Grace Point is aiming for gospel advancement, to see this gospel go forward into all places and to see one more person trust in Christ. And so over the next four to five weeks, we're going to be continue to unpack what that statement means. Uh, there's a lot packed into this statement. There's a lot of truth packed into this statement. So we're just going to unpack that uh, together this morning and over the next uh, several weeks. 
And we want it to sink in. We want it to not just be on the tips of our tongues. We want it to sink into our hearts as well. And that we're afraid at work or if we're in the community and someone asks us about Grace Point, what is it about Grace Point Church? You can say with clarity, Grace Point Church seeks to advance the gospel to see one more person trust in Christ. That is what we are about as a church. But more importantly, that we wouldn't just say that truth. We would really believe that truth. We would know that truth, that it would resonate in us that Grace Point is about gospel advancement and seeing God's kingdom go forward in this world and into all places. And that as a church, we would not just know this phrase, though we should know this phrase, but we would really believe it. And we would live our lives to that end, that we would live out of it. Because I really believe, and I believe that you believe as well, that you really want your life to count. That you want your life to make a difference. You want our church to make a difference in the community. One of the first things that I noticed in, in talking with Grace Point Church and talking with the search team and then meeting you all as individuals, one of the things that I recognize very quickly about our church is, is our love for other people and our love and concern for those that come into our doors and we welcome. And I also recognize this, the anticipation of how God is getting ready to do something and move in our midst. I recognize that very quickly. And you just think about the history of our church and two churches coming together, unifying together. Churches don't do that unless they truly desire to see the kingdom of God move forward. And that's the willingness of this congregation. I know that to be true. and The elders know that to be true. We all know that in our hearts, that that is what we are about. That's a part of our history and a testimony of this church to say, we want to leave behind a legacy that's bigger than ourselves. And I really believe that in this statement, to advance the gospel, to see one more person trust in Christ, I believe it came from two places. The first reality is this, is that I believe all of us want to live for something that's greater, and we want to give our lives to something that's greater than ourselves. If there is something worth living for, I think as we look within our own hearts, we say that we've got to live for something greater than us. If anything is worth giving our lives to, giving our time, our effort, our lives, and eventually, ultimately dying for eventually, it has to make, it has to be bigger than us. If you think through the history of time that in 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, probably none of us will be here. And what a waste in that moment. What a waste of our lives. How selfish would we be is if we desire that people only talk about me or talk about you or talk about any of us. What a waste. And I really believe that in the heart of all of us is the desire to give our lives to something bigger than ourselves. And for us as a church and for us as individuals to slip into the background and together hold up a banner that is greater than us and the banner of Jesus Christ and say, if you know nothing else about Grace Point Church, know this, that his gospel and the gospel of his kingdom, the advancement of Jesus Christ is what we have lived for. And the prayer of, of mine and the prayer of the elders and the prayer of this church is that you wouldn't see me but that you would see this gospel continue to advance because it's not ultimately about us. It's about something that is bigger than us. And to say we didn't waste our lives, rather we gave our lives to the only thing worth living for, namely the gospel of Jesus Christ and our Savior.
And we want to see his kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the second truth is this, is that I really believe, and I think we really believe, that God isn't only desiring to do a work in you. He is wanting to do a work through you. God is not just wanting to do something in spite of you. He's wanting to work in light of you. He is wanting to do something incredible, not just in you, but through you in the world. And the prayer of this statement, and I think the challenge in, in this statement is what it's doing is that it is attempting to honor the history of two churches. And that IBT and Audubon, as they came together, and they came together about the anticipation of what will be and what will continue has been the question on everyone's mind. And that our prayer is that in this statement will be a statement that honors the history of Ottoman and IBT. But not only honor the past, but we press forward into the future of Grace Point Church and what God has for us. And that while we honor what the Lord has done in the past, we continue to see the gospel of Jesus Christ advanced into the world, to see one more person trust in Christ. One of the things that we'll look at in week three of this sermon series is that we'll look at the history of both IBT and Audubon, and I will, I will try to convince you from everything that I've read on both churches that when the churches were thriving and that they were really advancing the gospel, the churches were at their healthiest. And, that, and that we as a church, if we desire to see that legacy continue, we will advance this gospel. We will see this gospel be carried into the future but one thing I know to be true this morning is that God is not overlooking and God is not overruling any of us. And that while God can do something incredible in spite of us, God really does want to work through us and in light of us. And you get this picture all throughout the New Testament that God is working in you. But because God has worked in you, it demands your participation. It demands our participation with God working through us as well. And that is what this vision is about, to advance the gospel, to see one more person trust in Christ. So we're gonna take a little bit of a detour and then land on a statement uh, in Philippians 1.12 of where this biblical idea comes from. But if you have your Bibles, Ephesians 1, it's a long way of setting up. It's gonna be a little different morning this morning as far as the way that I kind of deliver this sermon it's not going to have a point as much as it is just no gospel advancement. Advance the gospel to see one more person trust in Christ and why we want to do that. But this is what Paul says to the church at Ephesus in chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. As we walk through this passage, notice the very thing that Paul begins. He says that in him we have redemption through his blood. Paul is building an argument from what he has started from verses 3 to 6. And the redemption through his blood is just a part of that. And in order for us to get the weight and the full effect of what Paul has been arguing, we've got to see the entire thing. 
So I want us to look back just a couple of verses before in verses three through six and see what the Apostle Paul is getting at when he tells us that we have redemption through his blood. What is the argument that he's making? He is building this argument here. And redemption is just a part of it. But I want you to see the bigger picture. The argument that I'm going to make this morning is that the very thing that we dedicate our lives to, the thing that is worth laying our lives down for, is nothing other than this gospel. And why is that? Because we see the grandness of the gospel in Ephesians chapter 1. And we see exactly to what extent and the greatness of this gospel in Ephesians chapter 1. But he says in verses 3 through 6, Blessed be the God our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him for the found- before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for the adoption of sons to himself as sons through Christ, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The Apostle Paul, in summary, he is saying, thanks be to God that in Christ, he says he's predestined us and adopted us as sons through Christ. In other words, God has done something absolutely incredible through Christ. That's what the argument that he's building here is. God has done something incredible in Christ. He says in verse 3, he said he has blessed us in Christ. He says in verse 4, he has chosen us in Christ. He says in verse 4 is that we are holy and blameless because of Christ. He has lovingly adopted us into his family through the love of Christ. Verse 5. And now he says we have redemption and the forgiveness of our trespasses because of the grace of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ in verse 7. And he's going to continue this argument in verse 11. He's going to say we have now an inheritance in Christ. And we have been sealed in Christ by his spirit, verse 14. And all of it to the praise and glory of God. Verses 6 and 14. He'll continue to, to build on this point and he's saying that God has done an incredible work in us. And what the Apostle Paul is doing through the whole chapter of Ephesians 1 is he is pointing us to a past reality. And he's saying, I want you to know that this is true. This is what God has done in the past so that you may live presently in light of these truths. And I know that sometimes when we read through these truths, we may not fully comprehend them. But Paul means every word of it as truth. And he wants us to know this as truth. And he wants us to rejoice in God's work. And I think it's appropriate from time to time for us to wrestle with his word. And we should do that. But my aim this morning is that, and next week will be this, is not that we wrestle with his word as much as we rest in his word. That there's a time and a place that we wrestle with the text. But my aim this week and next week is that we don't wrestle more than we rest in what God has done. We rejoice in the Lord and his salvation. And also, practically, we repent if we've made these truths to be points of division and contention. That in time, we have taken these truths that are intended to bring unity and glory, and instead, they bring about division. And there is no doubt that that is the work of the enemy to distort and twist and to cause division and quarreling over the truth of God's word rather than delighting and rejoicing in what God has done. But there is nothing godly about senseless senseless debate or quarreling. And Paul's aim is not that we would do that this morning. His aim is that we would rest in what Jesus has done for us. 
His aim is that we would know the deep truth of God's love for us in Christ. And Paul's aim is unity and union. He wants us to know the past reality of what God has done so that we can live presently in light of the redemption through Christ. Here's the whole point. The gospel is bigger than you. The gospel is bigger than me. And in our search for finding something that's greater to give our lives for, I submit to you nothing greater and better than the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the plan, as he says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, for the fullness of time. This is a big gospel. This is a grand story. It is a plan that was set forth for the fullness of time. Flip over just a couple of chapters later in Ephesians chapter 3. Paul talks about this plan that is being unveiled. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. He says, To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan, there's the plan, of the mystery hidden for ages in Christ who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. It's this plan that's been veiled. It's this plan that's been hidden and now has been made known. It is the plan for the fullness of time, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. And next week, we're going to continue that that plan is made known and it finds its fulfillment in the unveiling through the work of Jesus Christ, but ultimately not found in isolation with our lives, but through the church in our collective effort together. Hence why this is a church vision to advance the gospel. But this gospel of Jesus Christ has been a plan, don't miss that, a plan of redemption, and a work that spans throughout all the ages. And in the fullness of time, God brought forth this plan. If you flip over to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 4, you see the Apostle Paul talk about the grandeur and the bigness of this gospel, that this was a plan, this is a big gospel. It's a plan for the fullness of time. Galatians chapter four, verse four. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. Verse four, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Church, don't you see? Don't you see that we were enslaved to sin? We were without hope in this world. We were without any worth. We were perishing. We were destined to receive the condemnation for our sin and our rebellion. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Born of a woman, born under the law, that the same world and sin that we encountered and we failed, that we lived and we failed to live perfectly under God's law. We tried, we failed, we couldn't do it. 
And we deserve God's condemnation. We rebelled. We're separated from him. Christ came in the fullness of time. God sent his son and he lived in perfect obedience to God's law. And in doing so, he was doing much more than serving as an example. It says in the text, he redeemed us. He didn't just serve an example for us. He he saved us. He redeemed us. And the separation that we experience, the brokenness that we know because of our sin has been wiped away because of Christ. All of your sin, all of your brokenness, all of your rebellion, your hostility towards God, the punishment that you deserve has been absorbed by Christ. And through our repentance and faith, we have redemption and we have union with Jesus. We have union with God our Father again. And that's why the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 1.10, it was a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to himself. It's about union with Christ. And God was reconciling sinful man to his rightful king. It's about union. It was a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to himself. Things in heaven and on earth. The word that he uses there in Ephesians 10 for the word unite, it it denotes this idea of the sum of its parts. All adds up to is the idea. If you were to take a a graph, if you were to take a column in Excel and you were to do that sum report and you were to unite all of those together and calculate the sum of its parts, and what would it tell you? That's the idea that the Apostle Paul has in mind here. That in the fullness of time, the union of all things, the sum of its parts, everything that's happening has been pointing to union with Christ. And this gospel is bigger than humanity. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than even humanity. It it says it's cosmic. Ephesians 1.10, he's uniting all things to himself. Look at the text. Things in heaven and on earth. You flip over to the book of Romans, and you see the apostle Paul doing this again. Romans chapter 8 famous chapter for I consider the sufferings of this present time aren't worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us for the creation waits with eager longings for the revealing of the sons of God for the creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God verse 22 For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption as sons. Notice the language, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. What is Paul saying? He's saying this gospel that you have experienced, this gospel that you've experienced through Christ and your repentance and faith in him, it is bigger than you. And it certainly includes you, but it's bigger than you. Have you trusted? Have you experienced this redemption through Christ? Have you been redeemed by Christ? Have you put your hope and your trust in his gospel? Have you submitted your life? Had you repented and believed the good news? It is bigger than us. It is the plan for the fullness of time. And it's personal, but it's beyond personal. It's cosmic. He's uniting all things to himself. 
And it's leading us to this conclusion that if you have experienced this redemption, if you are in Christ, if you are partakers, the Apostle Paul would say, if you are partakers in this past reality Paul has mentioned in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, Paul then says in verse 9 that he has made known to us the mystery of his will. In other words, this plan for the fullness of time, this gospel that is bigger than all of us, he has been made known, it has been made known to us. The gospel of redemption through Christ, the fullness of time and uniting of all things to himself, it has been personally made known and experienced in us. The language there is he has made known to us the mystery of his will. And as I read that, it, it, it begs the question for me, it sounds like, it sounds like God is wanting us to play along why did he do that? Why would he do that? Couldn't he have done it without us? And the answer is a resounding yes, he could. But also a resounding he isn't. He wants to use us, church. He wants to use his redeemed people. And because we have experienced this gospel... Because we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, because we have submitted our lives to the very thing that was worth surrendering our lives for and laying our lives down for, because we have experienced this great grace, we owe our lives to this. We owe everything about us to be devoted to this end. Turn to the book of Colossians and see how Paul unpacks this unveiling of this mystery and his response and encouragement to us. Look at how the Apostle Paul lives in light of this truth. He says in Colossians chapter 1 verses 26 through 29, it says this mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. We're asking the question, why is he doing that? To them, God chose to make known to them how great among the Gentiles, God chose to make known great among the Gentiles are the riches and the glory of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Watch what the apostle Paul does after stating that truth. He says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Watch this. For this I toil, I struggle in all my energy that he powerfully works within me. The Apostle Paul knows this to be true. It's what we've been saying all morning. That give us something worth living for. Give us something worth dying for. God, I want my life to count. I don't want to get to the end of my life and say, what a waste. And the Apostle Paul says, I know what I'm giving my life for. I'm giving my life for this gospel. I'm giving my life for this gospel that's bigger than me. I'm giving my life to this end. I'm giving my life to see his gospel go forth. He says, him we proclaim. I want you to see this. I want the Gentiles to know this. I want, to, I want them to see this big gospel that was planned for the fullness of time. And I'm teaching everyone. And I'm preaching to everyone. I'm warning everyone. That we may present every person mature in Christ. He says, for this I toil, I struggle with all of his energy that is powerfully at work within me. What am I living for? The Apostle Paul says, I am living to see this gospel advance. And in shipwreck, and in, and in toil, and imprisonment, and in hardship, and in suffering, and in even death, 
The Apostle Paul would say, I don't want my life to be about me. I want it to be about Christ. And I want it to be about his good news. I want it to be about his gospel advancing. And so we come to Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. And this is what the Apostle Paul says to the church at Philippi. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served, and here it is, to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout all the imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak of the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. The Apostle Paul is saying, he says, oh, I just want to clarify. If you think for one moment that this imprisonment has gotten me down and you think that I'm worried about my life or I'm worried about my imprisonment, oh, no, this, this imprisonment has really served to advance this gospel. And I don't want anybody to think that I'm ever jealous of any other preachers who seek to inflict me in my imprisonment. You think that I'm trying to build a name for myself. I just want to set the record straight. Oh, no, I just want the gospel to be proclaimed. It's about Jesus and his gospel advancing. And you think that I'm wearing these chains or a testimony to Caesar's lordship? Well, I think you've got another thing coming for anybody that thinks that. I am carrying a banner in hardships of all of my life. I am not here. I want to make that very clear, the Apostle Paul says. I am not in prison because of Caesar. I'm here because of Jesus Christ. And I am going to continue to proclaim his gospel. And for anybody that wants to think for a moment, any of these prisoners that want to think for any one moment, anybody in your context that want to think for one moment that Caesar is Lord, oh, I've got another thing coming for them. Caesar is not Lord. There is one Lord, and his name is Jesus Christ, and it's his gospel that is going forward into the world. Paul was laying his life down to see this gospel advance. And he says, by all means possible, that this gospel would go forward. Jesus is Lord, and the whole imperial guard knows it. Christ is in control here. And for the Apostle Paul, gospel advancement was so much more than his words. It was his entire life. He says, yes, I will proclaim Christ, but also be in prison for him as well. I will not just speak good news. I will believe it and I will give my life to that good news. And he surrendered his entire life. Grace point, this gospel is worth giving our whole lives for. This gospel is worth it. And advancing this gospel to see one more person trust in Christ, it is worth it. Grace point, if we desire to see God do something incredible, yes, he can work in spite of us, but God desires to work in light of us. And the question that we have is that will we be a church to give our lives to this end? Will we be a church that gives our lives to see the gospel of Jesus Christ, to advance the gospel, to see one more person trust in Christ? And will we live for something bigger than ourselves? And then in 50 years, the legacy of this group would not be about us, but about a banner that is more deserving than us, the banner of Jesus Christ.
and his gospel advancing in the world, to advance the gospel, to see one more person trust in Christ. And may we not be a church that just gives our words, but when we give our entire lives to that end, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 8. But the question will become, what will keep us from advancing this gospel? What will keep us from advancing the gospel to see one more person trust in Christ? There will be challenges. There will be things that will be tempted to hinder us from moving this mission forward. What will keep us from advancing the gospel? Our pride or our commitment to the status quo or our concern for the here and now, will it keep us from marching forward into the future? Or will we say with confidence and will we say with the conviction of the Lord to say our mission into this, into this world is the same mission that God has. He is uniting all things to himself through Christ. And his gospel, and he has saved me by his grace. I have experienced his gospel. And because he has saved us, he has also invited us in to be a part of his mission. And his mission is clear. His mission is to advance his gospel into this world. His mission is to advance the gospel to see one more person trust in Jesus Christ. So would we as a church begin to pray that we would take this seriously, that we would take gospel advancement seriously, that as we see hindrances, as we see things that would come up against us to, to reset and refocus to say, no, what has God saved us for and what has God called us to? And I fully believe that the scripture constantly points us back to this. Paul points us back to this. Jesus points us back to this. It is about his kingdom going forward. It is about his gospel advancing, and it is about one more person trusting in Jesus Christ. Church, let's be that type of church that advances his gospel and loves to see sinners repent and return home to their Savior. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Grace Point Henderson Podcast. For more information about Grace Point Church, go to gracepointhenderson.com. If you live in the Henderson, Kentucky area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays, 10:15 a.m. For all of our listeners, be sure to click the subscribe button so you'll never miss an episode of the Grace Point Henderson podcast.